Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, tough or even if they don't. Today is May the 24th, 2016. This is episode 1793, and it's a Tuesday. Since it's a Tuesday, it's a Just Jack show. This means that you voted for this show. You chose this show. So if you don't like the topic, make sure you vote for June shows. You can do that today. Uh, I put up a reminder post, and there's a link in today's show notes as well, to where you can vote for what shows you want to have on Tuesdays in June. Today's show is one I'm really looking forward to doing. That's where I feel I'm really in my element, and it's helping you determine what business you should start. And I'm going to take a different approach to this than the way I've done it before and the way most people do. Most people, when they say, determine what business you should start, go through 20 or 30 different businesses or five or 10 different businesses and say, these are all the kind of businesses you could do. You should pick one and go do it. No. No. There's 150,000 people that listen to this show, and I believe that everything, every single one of you that really wants a business can have one. And I don't believe it would disrupt anything if 150, if everybody in, in this audience did it. Now, could everybody in the country uh, be an entrepreneur? No, you'd have to have somebody working for somebody for all these companies to exist. But 150,000 people is not as big as it sounds. But it could radically transform our nation, 150,000 new entrepreneurs. The government has made it difficult, but at the same time, as you'll learn today, it's never actually been easier in the history of the free world or the not-so-free world to start, run, and be effective with a business. Now, how you do it may, you yeah, will save it. There's a lot of things to consider when you're determining what kind of a business to start, looking to your strength and your weaknesses and your time and your money and all types of other things. But we're going to dig into this deep today. In fact, I'll make a commitment to you. I think that if you really pay attention to today's show, if you really listen to it, if you give me your attention, that I will provide you more value than a year of business studies in a college in about an hour and a half. I, I, I don't say that out of arrogance. I say that coming from the school of hard knocks, having built multiple businesses, and knowing what it really takes, and having spent most of my life surrounded by other entrepreneurs, and seeing them do things I know that I couldn't do, but yet seeing the commonalities of why they and I were successful. And I'm going to take that to another level by giving you a fundamental understanding of the workings of business, why businesses are successful, how products are marketed, how services are marketed. And I'm going to take what looks like a billion different things. I'm going to break it down to just a few categories. And that will give you an understanding of business that most people die never having had, including some successful business people. There's a lot of successful business people that couldn't tell you what I'm going to tell you today. Some of it you may have heard before. You've listened to 5 Minutes with Jack. Some of this stuff has been in the 5 Minutes with Jack podcast uh, that I haven't done one for years because I feel there's enough information there for anybody who wants to get a business off the ground and do it. And anybody that ever comes back to me and proves they've done everything I've given over there, I'll do one more. Today's kind of like that, though, but this isn't five minutes. This is over an hour of some of the best education you will ever receive on the ins and outs of business and product and service marketing. And I really, again, believe that you have an understanding today if you give this your attention that will exceed what most people who have gone to school to study business understand about marketing, product, sales, service, and the psychology of the consumer. Okay? Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take a look at the year that was the episode. The year is 1793. Uh, I have 
Two from you, for, two for you from Alex Shrugged, and some uh, bullet points, little short ones in other news. Eli Whitney invents the cotton gin. Gin is short for engine. Removes seeds from cotton. Turns crappy cotton in the south to a cash crop. It also makes slavery profitable. Eli actually wanted to end slavery, and he actually made it worse. Uh, Lyle-bodying citizens must return runaway slaves. Hey, it's in the Constitution. It really is. The slave states want to make sure non-slave states understand that it's the law. And slavery is abolished in Upper Canada, sort of. Some restrictions on it that would eventually phase slavery out in Upper Canada. Anyway, um, the two big ones I have for you today are off with their heads. The reign of terror is here, and I owe my soul to the company store. Tough one to pick from. Tough one, man. But I'm going to read off with their heads. The reign of terror is here. The king is dead. The queen is next. The French Revolution has jumped the rails. Last year, over 200 Catholic priests were murdered in what was called the September Massacre. France has established the Committee of Public Safety, granting it sweeping powers, a hand to grasp the weapon of the Revolutionary Tribunal. But these are not patriotic sons of liberty singing songs as they dump tea into the harbor. Saint Just and Robespierre are power-hungry ideologues, and they hold the blade of law. Death to the counter-revolutionaries is the rule. In the name of liberty, equality, and fraternity. Oh dear God, they said it exactly that way as they murdered thousands and thousands and thousands. It's time that equality bore its scythe above all heads. It is time to horrify all conspirators. So legislators place terror on the order of the day. Let us be in revolution because everywhere counter-revolution is being woven by our enemies. The blade of the law should hover over all the guilty. The Committee of Public Safety. Pretty terrifying, isn't it? My take by Alex Shrug. Famine, economic collapse, and loss of confidence in the leadership spooked the majority of people into looking for someone to blame. The legislators wanted to blame anyone but the legislators. The solutions was the same. Death to those who did not love equality and liberty. You say that can't happen in America, but it almost did. In the 1960s, Bill Ayers co-founded the Weather Underground. He was blowing up government buildings and planning re-education centers for the counter-revolutionaries, his exact words. His Weather Underground terrorists figured about 25 million Americans would need to be eliminated. That means murdered. For your information, Bill Ayers is currently a retired professor of education. He taught teachers how to teach your children. So when I get upset about things like Christians forced to decorate gay wedding cakes or transgendered boys lurking in girls' locker rooms, I remember there is some guy out there who is saying, if only conservative people like Alex would go away, we would all be better off. And by better off, he means himself in power. And by go away, he means, well, you know what he means. Yeah, um, a couple different takes on this one. I've not said much about this transgendered thing with the bathrooms, but here's how I, I feel about it, honestly. We made it in this country for 240 years without worrying about this issue. It's not important that we worry about it now from either side. The truth is most of you have probably been in a bathroom with somebody that was transgendered, and because they were actually an actual transgendered person, someone living as a man that was a woman or living as a woman that was a man, okay, they just went in, did their business, and left like anybody else, and you never knew it, and you never paid attention. You might have thought, man, that's an ugly looking you know, woman there or whatever, but you didn't think, oh, that's some, some guy going in there to spy on women because it's not what they were doing. The, I mean, the other side of this is this is point... 3% of the population identifies as transgendered. Now, 
do I have concerns that some guy might just throw a dress on so he can go be a perv in the ladies' room? Yeah, and I figure he's probably going to get his teeth knocked out, too, and arrested, because what he's perving is illegal, and I don't think this is going to work for that. But having the government say you have to do this, I find that to be preposterous. And then, you know, the reaction being we should need to pass laws against it, I also find to be completely ridiculous. Absolutely, completely ridiculous. And the logic that, well, men will use this to go into the ladies' room and molest little girls, if you're going to follow that logic, follow this logic, okay? Just saying. This is factual information. You can fact check it if you want to. The majority of children molested in the country are boys, not girls. Vast majority. The majority of boys molested in this country are, mes uh, are molested by men, Okay? The majority of the men that molest boys live their life outwardly and openly as straight males. Therefore, if you're actually concerned about children being molested in bathrooms, men should not be allowed to use the men's room if there's a boy in there. Or boys should have their own room that men can't go into, because it's actually the biggest threat. Now, that's just logic. I, I, I don't know. You're right. So, I get the outrage about this. By the conservative side. I really do, because having the federal government tell schools you have to let boys that identify as girls use the girls' locker room, we don't need that. Again, we're talking about 0.3% of the population, and I'm sure we can figure out how to accommodate specific needs at the individual and local level. So just 240 years we made it without your help, federal government, just stay out of it. I'm just saying, and this is not a problem, but the government's turning it into a problem. The other side of this... The concept that this is, I, I think this is what people don't really get about the whole Bill Ayers thing and President Obama. These guys were tight. Obama launched his campaign in this guy's like living room. This is a guy that blew up buildings and, and, and yes, and now is a retired professor of education. There are people that are this bad, that are this evil in our country. And I'll tell you what keeps them in check. Everybody else. But when people become dumbed down and ignorant, they're easily led. And this is the truth. The more things stay the same, or more things change, the more they stay the same. This is the, the modus operandi of everybody that's in power. Blame anybody, but don't blame us. So therefore, we will give you somebody to blame. Like a gay person, or a transgender person, or somebody who doesn't want to bake a cake. How, how would I solve all of these issues? How about this? Get the government out of the issues. You want to bake a cake for somebody that's gay? You do it. The other person doesn't want to do it? Don't do it. We should all have the right to refuse service to anybody. We don't, but we should. And I'll tell you the other side of this. Let's say I were a Bible-thumping Southern Baptist preacher, and I had two gay folks that came to me and said they wanted me to marry them. Uh, by the way, that doesn't happen in a real church. Only for-profit chapels that aren't actually churches have ever been approached. But let's just say I was running one of them for-profit chapels. But I was a Bible-believing, honest to God, you know, Bible-believing Christian that thought what they were doing was sinful. And they said, well, you have to. Government says so. I'd say, all right, boys, let me tell you how it's going to be. I will be giving an ear-thumping sermon on the sin of sodomy as your eulogy. Are you sure you want me to do this? If you came to me and asked me to bake you a cake for a gay wedding and I didn't want to, I might start wiping my nose and saying, do you really want me to do this? Or do you want to ask the other baker that doesn't mind doing it to do it? Instead of fighting it headlong, 
there are ways to be more martial arts-like in our responses to being forced to do things and compelled to do things that we don't want to do. You might be able to make me do it, but you can't make me do it well. <laughs> I'm just saying. But that's, again, just logic and common sense. Anyway, I probably have half the audience mad at me. That's why I've stayed out of this subject, because the real reality of these things, they are giant distractions designed to make you not pay attention to things like, oh, I don't know, critical failures in U.S. nuclear plants while we're all worried about a, a, a transgendered bathroom issue that we made it 240 years without worrying about. But nah, that's just me. With that in mind, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Hey guys, the next time you consider investing in firearms, consider investing in yourself first by taking a course with Fortress Defense Consultants. From basic to advanced courses and even specialized courses for women, Fortress Defense has it all. Learn more at FortressDefense.com. Hey business owners, would you like the ability to reach more than 100,000 TSP community members for as little as $5 a year? If so, consider advertising your business in the TSP Business Directory. A listing in our directory shows your support of the community and a commitment to value-for-value value exchange with other members. To find something or to be found, just check out the directory at tspbiz.com. That's tspbiz.com to learn more. With that wrapped up, I do want to give you a quick announcement about something available at TSP Gear. Patrick Rohrman from MT Knives, um, which is quite quite interesting that I, I helped him get that business off the ground several years ago and we're talking today about starting up businesses but he came out with a knife called the Genesis 2 which is just a fantastic knife and it's made with a different steel than a Genesis 1 and it makes it more affordable uh, it's on sale right now in a TSP branded version with the MT Knives logo on one side and the TSP Val logo on the other for 99 bucks. that's a good deal and if you're an MSB member go into your MSB Get your discount uh, for tspgear.com, and you get it for $89. Bucks. So a Patrick Rohrman, you know, handmade knife, uh, Genesis 2, great steel. It's not the XHP, but it's, it's great steel that it's made out of. It's a steel um, that's made in Austria, and it's, it's, it's used in a lot of things like surgical instruments and things like that. It's called N690, and more and more high-end um, knife makers are beginning to... Uh, pick up using that steel, and it's it's just great. It's the same knife I carry. Um, I have various versions of it, but I carry a Genesis neck knife all the time. I actually like it better than some of my customs because it's thin. It carries really nicely either outside of your shirt or under your, under your shirt disappears. Um, I absolutely love the Genesis pattern. Uh, how much do I think this is a good deal? Um, I could probably call Patrick up and say, hey, you need to give me one of these, and he would. I bought one. I bought one from my own store uh, as soon as uh, Kelly made the announcement that they were available in the store. I did take my MSB discount, though, and I suggest you do as well. So with that knocked out, let's go ahead and get into it today. Now, I, I want to tell you, as we start out today, why I feel this really is my wheelhouse. And I, and I feel it, you know beyond qualified to do a show like this. And most people would say, well, it's because, Jack, you've been successful in business. And I think there's a certain amount of, you know... Street cred there, like you shouldn't be telling people how to build a business if you've never actually done it. But that's that's not actually why. It's like, do know how to build a business, but more importantly, since I know how, um, I believe in general that I want this for you more than most of you want this for you. 
and that if I can get you to want it as badly for yourself as I want you to have it for yourself, you will figure out how to be successful some way as an entrepreneur. And that that will radically change your life and bring you more freedom and more liberty and more control over your life. And it is the entire reason I do this show. Add to that, I absolutely know that there is not a single person here that if you can get to the point where you want it as bad for yourself as I want it for you, that you will not be able to succeed. I know there's not a single one of you out there that can't come up with a business, whether it be part-time, transitional, immediately full-time, and be successful with it. I don't know how long it will take. I don't know how much sacrifice there will be in between it. I don't know how many things you'll have to learn. I don't know how many times you'll fail before you succeed. But I know that if you want it as badly as I want it for you, that you can have it. I know that if there's 50 things that people think you should be good at to be able to run a business, and you suck at all of them, you, if there's critical ones, you can become good enough at a few of them and that you can find 50 other things you're good at and you can find a way to marry those to the concept of running a business. I believe that since we live in a country with over 300 million people that do business on a daily basis, if you can find a way to do business with a fraction of a percent of them, that you can, re you can replace most full-time incomes in America today in a relatively short period of time, which would be two to five years as a transitional period. And some of you will be able to do it in two months. And some of you will take 10 years. And some of you will give up. But I know you can do it. Let me explain what I mean when I say I know you can do it. I do not mean that I believe that you can do it. There's a lot of things I believe. And if I believe something, then I am open to the fact that I could be wrong. Belief in of itself necessitates the possibility of error. Because it's a belief, it's not a known. In other words, I know a bottle is made of glass. All right? I believe if you place it 200 yards away from me, I can hit it with my rifle, but I might miss. Okay, so I know that if I I know that if the bullet hits the bottle, it will break. That's a known. My belief that I can hit it is dependent on how things play out, or my belief is also dependent on the fact that I believe there's a live round in the in the gun. Right. So there's a lot of things we can believe, but there's certain things we can know. So notice, though, I did not say, I know you will succeed. That's the gun being fired. There's a lot of things at play there. Do you hold it true? Was it a live round? You know, was it sighted in? Right? I can believe that I can hit a target at a range that I know I can hit a target at. But if the, the sights have been purposely altered so the gun is not going to hit the target, I'll need at least two shots. I'll see where the impact is, and I can adjust with Kentucky windage. Right? But I know... You can do this if you want it as bad as I want it for you. And I think the, the truth is that I do want this for many of you more than at this moment you want it for yourself. So I'm going to be open. Today's show will be educational, but I am also telling you up front I have an agenda to transfer that piece of knowledge to you to a point where you believe it. Where you believe it. Enough to really make a go of it. I want you. I want you to want this. And I, I don't think there's many people out there that really want something like this for others as much as I do. I don't mean to judge anybody, but I never hear anybody say it. 
I never hear anybody talk about it. I hear a lot of people in the business mentorship world talk about you can do it, you know, I'm great, I'm wonderful, people like me, whatever. Um, I hear people say stuff like I believe in you. But I, I generally don't hear entrepreneurial mentorship types say I want this for you. So I'm just basing my assessment of that on what I've heard and what I've seen. So what I want to start out with today is breaking down the concepts of business and breaking down the methodologies of business and the mindset of the consumer and the, the standpoint from which we market a product or service rather than to say this is how you find your individual business because it is that understanding that will lead you to a deep self-examination. What am I good at? What do I suck at? How much time do I have? How much money do I have? Coupled with this understanding I want to give to you today that will lead you to the business you want to found. Because the reality is if all 150,000 of you decided I'm going to crush this, I'm going to do this, and went out and did it, we would probably get 150,000 different businesses in the end if all of you were successful. So there's no way that I can come up with 10 or 20 things that 150,000 people are going to go do. And even two of you doing something that on the surface looks very similar, when we drill down into your eventual business at an operations level, at a product service level, at a delivery level, at all these different levels, they will be dra drastically and dramatically different. Two people in this audience could build businesses that look on the surface from a website. We looked at their site. We think they're almost the same. And one might be a one-man operation. The other might have 10 employees because of strengths, in the market, or size of market, or how much work a person wants to do, and what work they want to do. Okay, So that all starts out with a fundamental understanding of the business nebula. And what we do when we look at businesses, and I say, well, you know, um, how do we break down what businesses sell? And people tend to look at that with kind of like a stargazer look and think, well, there's There's, there's millions of things that businesses sell, sell. And there's niche upon niche upon niche, and we can go way down and think we can't divide it any further, and yet we can still find another way to divide it, right? I do plumbing, but I do plumbing for uh, rural locations that are on wells uh, in the state of Kentucky, you know, uh, or, or, or that are for off-grid or whatever, right? You just you can get these very fine niches. But the truth is there's really only one big break between – the two primary sectors that business is done in, and that is products and services. And so one of the things we can start to examine is we examine what kind of business we want to be in. Do I want to be in a business that's primarily product-orientated or primarily service-orientated or both? There are businesses that are absolutely both. Discount Tire is a product and services hybrid. You go buy a tire, and they provide the service of putting it on your car for you. I'm not saying they do a great job, but I'm saying that's what they do. Okay, there are pure service business, right? And there are pure and there are pure product businesses. The only service they provide you is here's your product, go away. Most businesses have some component of both in them, but they dominate to one side or the other. Even if there seem to be balanced to you from the outside, one is their bread and butter from a revenue standpoint. Very few businesses are actually balanced between product and services with equivalent or very near the same revenue. And they usually use one for the other. A service business 
uh, may use a product to generate service revenue. They may sell a product almost as a loss leader, and vice versa. A, a product-oriented business may provide a service that they just make enough money on to basically pay for that, but they have a huge revenue from their product. Neither is wrong. The more balanced you are, the more stable you are. Okay, Less to go wrong. More forgiving if something goes wrong. But once we break it down into products and services, we can then break down those into only five more. For products, we have physical products and non-physical or electronic products. Every product you will ever buy, if it's truly a product, either is something you can touch and put your hands on, and therefore to get it to you, I either have to have you come to a storefront or I have to put it in some kind of packaging and send it to you, then it's physical, or it's non-physical, meaning I can deliver it electronically. Okay? Software. I can send you a disk with the software on it, but I'm an idiot if I'm doing that today. The best thing to do is just have you click a link and download it after you pay me for it. Non-physical, right? So products can be both physical and non-physical in nature, but they are going to be dominantly one or the other, okay? Um, the next one is services, and the way we can break those down is we can have functional services. Functional services are things that have a direct functional service to you, accounting, mechanical work, design work. So I actually do something for you at a functional level that you require or needs to be done right. Your CPA provides you the service of doing your taxes and evaluating them such that you maximize your return. That's a functional service. We also have educational services and we have entertainment services. And We really can take education and entertainment, as you'll see later, and put them into one basket. But for at this point of the breakdown, to grab the full understanding, it makes sense to go ahead and divide them. An educational service provides you knowledge. An entertainment service provides you an education. Now, there are some gray areas. What if I sell something that's an entertaining video that educates people and is also downloadable as a non-physical product? What is that? It's a combination of education, entertainment, service, and non-physical product. That, 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 it's not like it's either or. It's when we look at a product or service, we determine which of these things line up with it. Because that's going to then dictate the following. How are we going to market it? How are we going to sell it? Understand, marketing and sales are different. They're not the same thing. When people say they have a sales and marketing person in their business, that means they probably have one or the other and don't know enough to know the difference. Marketing is telling a story and compelling someone to look deeper, creating a response. Sales is actually the point where we take the belief in the product and transfer it to the person that's going to make the purchase. Okay? One is a one is basically chum, right? We're throwing out chum off the boat to attract the fish. And sales is when we put a hook in one piece of that chum and we hook a fish. Okay? Not saying we look at our customers that way. I'm trying to give you an analogy that makes you understand it. So we are going to market a product that's entertaining, educational, and non-physical differently than we're going to market a product that's educational, entertaining, and physical. If we're doing a classroom, entertaining, educational product that you have to come to, I have to market that differently than one that you can download and watch in your own time. Because my consumers are going to be different. 
My consumers are going to be different. It's not one's right and one's wrong. It's the people that at the end of the transaction are going to be different, and my message needs to be tailored to them. I'm also, it's also going to dictate how I deliver it. If I'm selling a DVD, it has to be mailed. I may never touch it. We sold DVDs in the martial arts world for a long time before I did this. And we never touched a DVD. We used a company called Corporate Disc. We made the product. We produced it. Then we had Corporate Disc make 5,000 of them at a run and put them on a shelf at Corporate Disc. And then when an order came in, they shipped it. There was a cost for that to happen. But functionally, for me, it was no different than had the product been electronic unless something goes down into delivery. Okay, so now I've got a third party involved, and plus I've got a fourth party. I've got a partner company that handles packaging and shipping, and then I have the delivery service, the postal service, UPS, you know, whatever it is, right, that the customer selects. Those are multiple points that can break down, so that leads us to the next thing. How the product is defined will also determine how we support it. So if I'm using an electronic product, that I always have like a backdoor download link to. If everything goes wrong, the person just can't get it, I can just go here, click this, and they'll get it. It's easier to support. Then I got a product that's lost somewhere in Sheboygan. And I got to send another one and hope it doesn't go wrong again. So my support of the product is going to be different. If it's an educational product, then my support is probably less than it's a, than if it's a product that requires an education on how to use. Right? So all of these things we have to think about. It's also going to dictate, how do I upsell it? If you sell to customers once, you have a business that's like a bicycle. The second you take your feet off the pedals and begin to coast, it starts slowing down and eventually will stop. And if it gets to a hill, you're done, right? It'll stop very, very quickly. If you are you, you know, creating a farming environment where you're developing long-term relationship with customers that you're able to sell to because the product is a recurrent revenue product, because you're coming out with new products, because you have different classes of products, and as you bring customers into the sales funnel, you're able to sell to them over and over and over again and get them to refer others to you. Now you're, you're, in, you're not quite perpetual motion, but you're a lot closer. You can take your feet off the pedals and then the bicycle will then have an electric engine kick in that will take you for a distance. You might have to recharge it at some point. But obviously one has advantages over the other. Okay, So how we upsell the product. Not if we upsell in our, our business. We should be upselling. We should be cross-selling. We should be creating recurrent streams of income or what have you. Or bringing in other types of affiliated product. But how we do that is going to have a great deal to say about who we're selling to. If we have a educational product that's non-physical, an internet uh, marketing course, right? So uh, let's say, like right now, I'm taking a course from Howard Garrett, the dirt doctor, to get certified by the Texas Organic Research Institute, a research company or whatever it is, Torque, uh, as a certified organic gardener. So I paid $195 to take this course. Okay, um, I don't have to go anywhere. I watch it in my living room uh, while my wife's watching TV shows. I don't care about it. I throw my headphones on, knock out a chapter, answer the questions on the test, and, and move on to the next chapter. Okay, if if the dirt doctor wants to sell me another product, he's going to have to then look at the type of business that he's in with this electronic product and say, "There's a couple things I can do here." 
I can sell a more advanced course that's the same type of consumable. I already know this person likes things like that because they bought it. Or I can sell a physical product that this person will now need, a soil amendment that goes along with the course. But that's going to be a different mode of delivery, so I need to make sure I have an operations quotient figured out to how to deliver that product, if that makes sense. Once we understand that that's, everything feeds off of what exactly is the product. Is it service or is it physical or non-physical product? If it's a service versus a physical or non-physical product, is it functional, educational, or entertaining? Is it a combination? What is it? That builds my core. My entire business is based on that core. That's why it's the core. Okay? That's, that's what makes it the core. And because of that, I have, a, I have a type of consumer that I'm building a customer base on. And if you learn nothing today but one thing from this show, it, the, the asset in any business, the true asset is the customer base. No matter what you're making, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're manufacturing, no matter what you're producing, somebody somewhere can produce the same thing. It might not be identical, but it can compete very well with you. The difference in a successful versus a non-successful business is not the product, it's not the service, it's the customer base. Now, the quality of the product and its delivery and its support and all of those things drive the creation of the customer base. And you can build a great, big, beautiful customer base, and you can do really stupid things and piss it off, and it'll go away. But whether it's there or not is what de determines the success of your business. It's all about the customer base. So the, the typecast customer determines what you should be adding on, selling, delivering, marketing to them. Okay. So in a podcast environment, I'm marketing to people that have time to listen to a show, that like audio, that want to be educated and entertained. I, I know who you are. Now, not everybody's exactly the same, but there's a typecast that the vast majority, if I, and I've done this before when I've talked about business, I've given descriptions of who I think you are to a very minute level. I had people email me saying it was spooky. It was like you're, you're looking over my shoulder on a daily basis. Okay. Because it's it's not actually complicated. If you actually analyze your product or service or combination thereof the proper way, it will lead you to know exactly the type of person you're going to do business with. So that also is going to dictate and drive what we developed as the next product for our customer bases. What that core is, what they want. Okay. Okay. It's also going to have a huge impact on where you're going to spend most of your time in the business. Uh, if you develop a product that is based on a non-physical, deliverable education product like we started out with, so you developed a product like the Dirt Doctor has, or like Nick Ferguson did with his plant propagation course, okay, you can then spend the majority of your time marketing it and completing sales and doing some support, but doing actually limited support because if you build that kind of product right, it should be very self-supporting. In the case of the Dirt Doctor, if you want support beyond, I can't get the video to play, right? You don't understand something. You want a tutor to help you. There's an extra fee you can pay for one-on-one -on -one coaching when you want to be able to you know, get in touch with somebody and have them explain something to you a second time or a different way. So the, the support in that product was built in as an added fee if you feel that you need it. And the majority of your customers won't, but those that do will then be self-funding. If you have a product like that, then it can all be about marketing that product and getting as many customers as you can. 
the less time you have to invest in your business, not money, but time, the less time you have to invest in your business, the more you want to be in that type of a position. Now, I'm not saying go make a course on organic gardening like the Dirt Doctor did. Okay, I'll even talk a little bit about how that's harvesting goodwill built over time in a very intelligent way in just a second. What I'm saying is don't focus. When I give you a business model here, I'm trying to give you something to make it concrete. What I want you to focus on is the relationship with the customer and the, the type of product or service. If whatever you deliver, whether it's a daily video blog or something like that, if the primary consumable is actually something that the customer just takes at will, that pulls, they pull it to themselves, and you don't have to focus on packaging and delivery and things like that, only production value, then you have all the time in the world to promote your business. If you are in a different situation where you're actually manufacturing a product, let's say you're in the soap business, a lot of you guys do that, then you have to add additional work that must be done. You have to make the soap, you have to cut the soap, you have to package the soap, and then you have to one way or another deliver the soap, whether it's through a storefront, whether it's through a retail chain, whether it's through selling through bed and breakfasts like one of our, our supporters does with their soap, whether it's internet where people order it from you and you mail it to them, no matter what it is, you have to physically get the product to the customer after you've manufactured and packaged it. This is true with Dorothy and I with our duck egg business on our small farm. Not only do we have to market that product so that people come and want to buy it, we have to pick the product up, we have to wash the product, we have to put the product in uh, an egg crate, we have to make sure that's all working good, we have to provide inventory space, we have two refrigerators that we run specifically so we can keep the product cold, and then we have to manage inventory. Because right now we got more eggs than we can sell, where a few months from now we'll have less, we'll have more sales than we can fill. And I don't like physical products. We're doing it, and the main reason we're doing it is these ducks repair the land. It's a different driver in that business. It's enough, it provides enough revenue to pay for them so they can do the work so I don't have to. So it's a lifestyle business. It's not a high income business. Never was intended to be. So you probably, as a first business, either you can use a business like that to learn from, or you shouldn't be in that business. You should be planning to go into something else that's more profitable. And we'll talk about that more in a bit. Okay. Before I move on, I do want to talk about like what Garrett, Harrod, Garrett, Howard Garrett's doing. Now, for those who don't know, Howard Garrett is a local radio personality here in Dallas-Fort Worth. He's been on the air since the 70s. Uh, he has probably done more to promote natural and organic gardening in this country than any other person on the planet. I, I really believe that. Um, he is on many different stations syndicated on the weekend. He has a podcast, etc. He's been doing this for decades. So when he came out with something like this organic certification, there were a lot of people that just wanted to take it. There were people like me that were kind of like, you know what? I've learned so much from this guy over the years. I'll take his course just because I feel like he deserves something from me. Okay, But that's all social capital. So he was able to take a product, look at his existing market, selling books and products and advertising for his show and generating content, and find a different type of product that he could drop into that existing market and create another line of income for himself, which is great. Now, here's where it all starts to come together if you understand this. Who is his customer? 
His customer is a person that up until now has been purchasing, whether you realize it's purchasing or not, what? What kind of product? An entertaining, educational, non-physical product, either on the radio or on a podcast. They've been listening to him. And that's allowed him to create a revenue model of selling advertising and a revenue model of creating branded products like Garrett Juice that he sells through multiple retail channels. Okay, But without the listener, that shit doesn't sell the way that it does. So he's been selling a non-physical product that's educational and entertaining. So what did he build in his, his certification class? An educational product okay, that's non-physical and somewhat entertaining. And honestly, if you've listened to him this long, most of it you already know, but it's been repackaged in a way that puts it in a linear format that reinforces it and really drives home what you think you know and makes you actually know it. Brilliant product development. Brilliant product development strategy. But see, it was all driven by, under, by you start out with, is it a product, is it a service? Is it physical or non-physical? What are the people buying it? How is it being delivered to them? How can I develop a product that can drop right into there that they're used to purchasing? So that they'll continue to purchase from me and I can begin to build my revenue streams. Okay. Now, next we need to look at the reasons driving people to buy products. Why do people buy products? Now, this is another place where people want to make this complicated. And before I go on, I want to say, when I say there's only three or there's only two, there's always going to be somebody out there that's like the person at like a Star Trek convention that wants to act, ask Captain Kirk, in episode three of the original series, you used a phaser with a modulator that doesn't really exist. Please explain yourself. Okay, It wants to be like this technical pain in the ass. and say, well, technically, okay, if you do that here, What you're trying to do is make something I've worked my ass off to make simple for you complicated. Don't do it. Accept what I'm telling you because it's not about, you know, what the moon's made of. It's about a method of thinking and seeing so that you can be functional. Okay? And anything you add to cloud this will make you less able to do what I'm trying to enable you to do. Build a business for yourself. Okay? There are only two reasons, real reasons, People buy a product. It's because they either need it or they want it. There is no other real reason people buy jack diddly crap. Well, I thought it would be fun. Then you wanted it. I was going to die if I didn't have it. Then you needed it. Okay. There are products that people buy that fill a need and a want. So you buy food because if you don't eat, you die. You buy higher quality, good tasting food because you have to eat anyway and you wanted lobster tonight. Okay? Now... The conventional wisdom in most people's brain, which is one of the biggest reasons people fail in business, is that I do not want to sell a product based on want. I want to sell a need. Because if I'm selling to a need, then I've got everybody needs to buy from me. right? Everybody's my market. Okay, Aunt, wrong. That's why your business fails. Aunt, wrong. That's why I say you hate money. Aunt, wrong. Okay, If it's a need... Multi-billion dollar, multi-trillion dollar global conglomerates own the market. People need energy. You're going to go into the gas business? You're going to go into the oil business? Right? You're going to go into the food business from a standpoint of a need. You're going to compete with Kellogg's? You're going to, I mean, you're going to compete with Lay's, Frito-Lay? No. Why? Because it's wrong. You're stupid if you do that. You know, if you, you really can't go into those business sectors. 
Now, you can be a broker or for life insurance that people feel like they need or whatever, and you can do okay. But as a small entrepreneur trying to start something up, even if you're selling something that fills a need, you need to sell to the want. Want drives decisions outside of the norm, and as a small entrepreneur, you by definition are outside of the norm. So, so Curtis Stone is a perfect example of this. Curtis Stone is doing what's called spin farming. That means he's farming land he doesn't own in urban and suburban landscapes. So he finds a homeowner with a large backyard. Maybe they have a tenth of an acre. There could be a garden plot. and says, hey, I'll lease this from you, maybe just by giving you some of my production. All I'm going to do is put garden beds back there and grow vegetables. And then I'm going to sell the vegetables. Okay. You'd say, well, he's in a food business he's selling to a need. No. He's selling nutrient-dense, locally-grown, high-quality, beautiful food to restaurants and people that care about their health. He's selling a need, but he's selling it to the want. And if you go into a, a, a concept of trying to sell to the need, you will find yourself outgunned competing with the largest corporations in the world. And let me tell you another reason you sell to a want. Because a person who feels like they're a little tight on money, that, that switches their electric company to save one penny per kilowatt, next month will go out and buy a new surfboard because they love to surf and they wanted it. They'll do it on credit while they clip a coupon for Kraft Macaroni and Treat Cheese. They really will. Purchasing is driven in the discretionary world on wants. When people realize that they need to cut back on spending, the first thing they tend to cut back on is needs. They turn out a few more light bulbs so the electric bill goes down. They try to figure out how to drive less so that they spend less on gas, etc. It's the first place they cut, not the place you want to be. Now, the last piece of motivation we want to look at in our customer base is why do they want the product, right? So that can actually be broken down to three. Three reasons people buy a product because they want it. Now, You might say it's one because they want it. You'd actually be right if you want to simplify it further. But there is some value in, in, in breaking this up a little bit more. Okay. Now, we, we, we separate this out to, to wanted products because you know why you buy a needed product. Because you were forced to by mandate. Because if you don't, you're going to be dead in the water or dead for real. You put gas in your car because without the gas, the car won't go. You need to put gas in your car. If somebody eliminated the need for you to put gas in your car, if you could piss in your gas tank and your car would go 40 miles every time you took a leak, you'd drink a lot of water and you'd never buy gas again. Why? You don't want gas. Nobody wants to buy gas. You buy gas because you need it. Okay. So those all the products that are in the need, we just throw those away. We're not messing with that. Even if we're selling a need, we're selling to the want. So these are the only three reasons people want to buy a product because it's entertaining because it's profitable or because it's life-changing that's it now i know what you'd say well you said entertaining and educational um educational products are profitable and possibly edu entertaining as well okay uh it, it, what you have to understand for this to work out is profitable does not always need mean making money it can Here's an example. Let's say I make a non-physical product, a downloadable software product that you use in your business to manage customer service. And you look at that product and realize it will save you so much time 
that you will do a better job and you can actually come to a concrete number of either reduced expense, which then moves to the profit side of the balance sheet, or additional sales that moves to the profit side of the balance sheet with greater in incoming revenue. Right? Your ARPU will go up. Okay? I'm not going to tell you what ARPU means. I'll tell you it's spelled A-R-P-U, and if you don't know, go Google it. That's a lesson. Increase your financial literacy, ARPU. Google COGS while you're at it, C-O-G-S. I can tell you what either one of those mean. Go learn if you don't know. They are core to understanding business operations, okay? All right, so profitable also can mean this. I didn't really want to earn money from taking a course on how to make knives, Jack. I took the course on making knives because I wanted to learn how to make knives because I thought it would be fun. Okay, well, then it's entertaining, at least afterward. Now it's, you can entertain yourself by making knives. But what you've actually profited with is knowledge. You bought the product so that you could learn how to make knives, and now you know how to do something you didn't do. You have something you did not priorly have. You felt it was worth more than the asking price. Therefore, you've profited. Okay? And life-changing. Life-changing is, um, I think my podcast is life-changing as a product. I think if you listen to this show over months of your life and start thinking about the things we dig into and bring up, it will change your life for the better, but I don't know how. Because all of you will change differently. You will find more about who you really are. You will get clear of a lot of bullshit that comes into your life through the world, through the TV, through the media. And you'll be able to think for yourself, including thinking, I don't like this guy anymore. I'm going to go do something else with my time. Great. If that's what you got from it, good. That's okay. Plenty of other people that, that feel differently. And, you know, hopefully one day you'll figure out the reason you even feel that way is because of what you got from this. So that's a life-changing thing. Um, now, people might say something like, well, Jack, what if you buy a knife? Right? It's not really entertaining unless you're going to throw it at things. It's, it's not life-changing unless you get lost in the woods and it, it, it saves your life somehow. I guess that would change it from being, being dead to being alive. But those aren't, you're not generally thinking that way when you make a decision. No, I'm buying the knife because it's profitable. It's profitable to me because I believe that it's worth as much or more than I'm being asked for from it and I'm going to gain use of it over time. That's why I buy anything. So when you start to understand when people are buying to the want, they're buying either because they believe they gain more than they're being asked for, therefore there's a profit to it. They believe that they'll get joy from it, it's entertaining, or they believe their life will be better because of it, it's life-changing. A weight loss product, for instance. Well, I don't know whether it'll work or not. Easy, Charlie. I just just me bumping the desk. Um, so there's a lifestyle business right there. The dog thinks somebody knocked on the door because my elbow bumped the desk. Anyway, that's it. And if you can put them together, where you build a product that people feel entertained by, feel that they profit from, and feel changes their life for the better, you have what I personally call, I don't know anybody else that calls it this, the golden trifecta of marketing. It is the easiest product that you'll ever market. Um, and sometimes you create a package that does that. TSP is this business. I believe I'm entertaining. No matter how good my information is, if I didn't at least on some level entertain you, you could not listen to me for an hour. You'd be like, this guy, if I was like, this is the survival podcast. Today, we're going to talk about marketing and sales. You, some of you are like, damn, please stop that. Please stop that. Doesn't it feel better now that I quit doing that? Okay, there's entertainment value in the delivery, 
right? Um, I make you laugh at times. I had a guy one time tell me he almost cut his thumb off while he was on a roof using a circular saw because he was listening to the show. And I said something about, you know, just because you can put your penis in a beehive doesn't mean you should. Okay? So occasionally I throw out a little bit more entertainment. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but there's entertainment value there. I believe the show is profitable. When I have somebody email me and say, because of you, we walked away from a real estate deal and got the deal anyway, and we saved $20,000, that's profit, buddy. That's, that's, that's 20 grand back in your pocket. You didn't spend it. Since you were mortgaging that house, it's more like 40 or 50 grand over the life of the loan. For, for, for an hour of your time to, to learn a technique that lets you be able to do that while you're being entertained, that's profitable. And, but then we start packaging things. So I put together the MSB. The MSB is not really entertaining, though there's some extra content back there you might find enter entertaining, but it's profitable. You spend 50 bucks with me on MSB, you use my discounts, at the end of the year you come out 100 bucks ahead, why the hell wouldn't you renew? Other you just don't like me anymore, and if you don't like me, that's okay. You know, you don't have to like me, but if, as long as you like what you're getting from the show and it's profitable, it's a pretty easy financial decision to make. Since this puts money back in my po po pocket, I'm going to do it. But if you've learned a lot of things over the years with us, and now you have this knowledge that you walk around and use to discern things for yourself, then it's also profitable that way and life-changing. I believe that when we allow people to see more clearly the how, just how manipulated they are, that they will find their own way to change their own life. And I've had people come to me and say, you changed my life. And I always correct them and I say, no, you changed your life. You ch I, don't, I have not changed anybody's life, but I believe the product we put out allows and empowers people to change their own life. It makes it a very easy product to market. And it's how we market the product. Come here, be entertained, be informed, be educated, profit with knowledge, profit from our programs, and make your life better if times get tough or even if they don't. See, it goes right to the core of the message. If times get tough or even if they don't, you have a better life. And because I knew this was what I was doing when I put the show together, I was able to develop what is the clunkiest, worst tagline infinity ever in marketing, and yet it works perfectly. It is a terrible tagline. It breaks every rule of taglines. It's hard to remember. It's clunky. It's too long. But it says exactly what it is. When we are supposed to be teaching you today how to pick a business to go into, but this is critical. This is how I was able to decide, you know what, podcasting. Some other things we're about to get into for self-examination, but podcasting. I can deliver a non-physical product. I can work at 3 o'clock in the morning, but I don't want to be licking envelopes or packing boxes, and I don't have time. My wife will kill me. I can't do that. I have too much stress in my main job. I had to find something that I could deliver to my strengths, to people, that they would understand, that I could explain easily. Because all I had was some prep time at first thing in the morning, and a one-hour drive in the car, and about 10 minutes I could steal for myself at my office to upload a file. So I chose the business based on my strengths and based on this understanding of marketing. Entertain. Make people feel like they're profiting from what you're doing and help change their lives for the better, and you have a successful business. This does not mean if your business is not life-changing, you have a poor business. Okay? There are people that make an awful lot of money selling socks. I don't think socks change your life. But they can be entertaining, 
and they can make the person feel like they got a profit because their feet are comfortable. Okay? I guess really special socks for a person with a certain problem might be life-changing, but the majority of the market are not life-changing. Soap. A lot of people have built really strong businesses on homemade soaps and things like that. I don't think soap is life-changing, but for some small segment of your market it might be. The person who had skin conditions and learned about natural soap products and the skin condition, it's life-changing for them. But that's a niche, that's what you call a vertical market within your larger market. So we might run some advertising on that, but that's not the core of our message. The core of our message is our soap, soap smells really good and it's better for you, it's healthier. It's profitable and you'll be entertained by the wonderful smell that you'll have while you take a shower. Because why shouldn't your shower be entertaining? Right? When you start to understand all of that, then you start to define down what you, what makes sense for you as someone with your life situation, your strengths and weaknesses. The next thing we have to do when we have all that figured out, though, is we have to ask the three most important questions. And we've kind of hit them already going through here, but I'm going to drive them home for you before we do self-analysis. We have to ask these questions about our prospective customers. These questions are, who are they? Who are they? And if the answer is everyone, you're not answering the question. If you are making, like Patrick does, custom expensive knives, your customers are people that buy cutlery products that want the best they can get and are willing to pay for it. You do not want the guy that sits there and looks at two knives and one's 12 bucks and one's 15 bucks and goes, is it really better? I'm not sure. You, you, that, that, that guy is not your customer. The person that wants to buy something they're going to give to their child is your customer. If you make production knives in a stamp production facility that's mostly through mechanization, that's exactly your customer. Neither one is wrong. But you need to define who your customer is and what they want. That's the second question. Who are they and what do they want? And then how do they want it? How do they want it packaged? Back to my podcast. Who are they? People that want to learn more okay, about, about self-sufficiency, self-reliance, independence, and liberty. That's who, who you are and what you want. That listen to audio content and want it delivered as audio content. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that a huge amount of you listen to me while you're either working out, walking, working in the garden, driving. Because audio is the best type of content for people that have, or you do jobs that, I don't want to be insulting in this, but on some levels they're mindless. Maybe they're not mindless for everybody, but you've done it so long, you're so good at it, they're mindless for you, where you can multitask. Or even if it's something kind of complicated like bookkeeping or something like that, you're so good at it, you actually can enter numbers in a spreadsheet and listen to some crazy redneck guy and do good at both of them at the same time. And audio fits that. So my market is not necessarily people that want video because video requires the eyes to be engaged at the same time, which is not good in a car, and it's not good when you're supposed to be at work working and your boss is coming to check on you. As far as he knows, you're jamming out to Iron Maiden or something. Right, So if we can define who our customers are, what they want, and how they want it, then we can develop our entire strategy based on that. And I know maybe you're thinking, well, how does that help me pick a business? It is in all of this that you determine what, what is the right business or the product or service for you and your lifestyle. And to do this, now we have to marry this with some self-examination. The first thing you have to ask yourself is, what are you good at? What are you good at? And 
that doesn't just certainly you know mean a skill that can be marketed. Uh, for instance, if you're good at uh, taxes and you're employed as an accountant, starting your own accounting practice is an obvious transition. Okay, and the problem is that most people, when they think about starting a business, try to think the same way. I have a friend who is a, um, a, 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 a IT right. Everything from pulling cable to configuring servers and things like that, the guy can do it all. So when he thinks about possibly having a business one day, years ago he tried to get me to go into business with him. That's he wanted to start his own company doing that. I did that kind of work too. I don't really like it. It's not my passion. And there's a million people doing it, and it requires me to basically be an employee for myself. It's like build a company large enough, and I know the market and uh, the people in it, and it's always a fight to keep good people, and you lose the best. It's 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 tough, and the margins are actually quite thin. No, that's not the business for me. Just because I can do that doesn't mean that it's what I'm really good at. When I asked this question to myself, the first answer that I gave was teaching. I'm good at teaching. Now I'm not good at being a classroom teacher. You put me in teaching 10th grade civics, and I'm not going to do well, even though I know the material. I don't like that environment. I don't like teaching people that are forced to learn. I don't want to sell to the need. You have to go to school because the government said so. I want to sell to the want. I have information that you want to receive. So teaching. I was also like, well, right in line with that is presenting. I spent 20 years standing in front of large groups of people doing sales and marketing presentations. Whether it was internal or external focused, it didn't matter. Years and years and years of doing it. So the question was, can I actually present 40, 50 minutes of material in the car while I'm driving in the car? Let's get a recorder and find out. Low risk. I mean, at 30 bucks for the quarter, 18 bucks for the headset, $9 for hosting space to get started out. Boom, I'm in business. Let's see if it works. Starting at what I was good at. My next question to myself is, okay, fine, Jack, then what do you love? I love teaching. Okay, you already said that. Let's go deeper. I love my garden. I love my garden. I, I, when I was examining what to do with this, I was like, I love my garden. I absolutely love it. Because it was one of the few things that gave me sanity. I would get home from that horrible 55-mile drive in Dallas-Fort Worth traffic. I would get a beer, walk through the house, go out and water my garden, pull a few weeds, and then I'd be human and I could actually interact with my wife. So I liked my garden. Okay, But what else do you like about your garden? It feeds me. Okay, great. So should I go into business as a spin farmer like Curtis Stone? No, it didn't fit my life. It didn't fit my other strengths. So then it said, well, what else do you love? I love hunting and fishing. Why? Because it feeds me. Oh, okay. We're finding a common thread here, aren't we? Okay. All these things that you love feed you. What do you love about the fact that they feed you? I'm not dependent on anybody else. I control my own destiny. Oh, that means self. What you really love is self-sufficiency and self-reliance. Is there anything going on about 2008 when the Survival Podcast is born that fits in with this theme of providing for yourself self-sufficiency and self-reliance? Oh, look at this. This prepper space is kind of booming. It's kind of starting to come out of the gate. There's a lot of stuff going on in it. What else fits that? Well, hunting, fishing, gardening... Growing your own food, alternative energy. I either know about all this stuff or I can learn about it and I can present it well. So that kind of led me in the right direction. What am I good at? What do I love? Next question is what do you hate? I hate meetings. I hate meetings. I hate decisions by committee. I don't like it. I have no time for it. I know what to do. I want to get it done. Roll on. 
You guys want to have a meeting, go have a meeting, leave me alone. I had rules in my meetings. If two people were talking and there was more than two people in a room, you guys shut up. You guys go talk to each other outside of the meeting. If there's something here that's not for every single person sitting at this table that we don't all give a shit about, it doesn't go in this meeting. I, I ran meetings like a maniac. I would write on the whiteboard, does it affect revenue? Exclamation point. And if somebody would start talking about something that had no correlation to revenue at all, even if you know, you've got to fix this software problem and then that's going to make the cost. Okay, we talk about that. But they're talking about, bull see the sign? Doesn't affect revenue? Shut up about it. This is not for a meeting. Send an email. I hate meetings. Why do I hate meetings? I hate dealing with people that would rather talk about than do things. You know what? Probably be a good idea for you to go into sole proprietorship if you feel that way. Even if it's a corporation, what I mean by sole proprietorship, one operating mechanism in the business is you. Podcasting, does that work? Yes, it does. I can do a one-man show. I can learn to edit. I can, like, I didn't know how to edit audio. I sort of knew how to edit video in Vegas, and it turned out audio was really easy. I didn't know how to set up an RSS feed. I knew WordPress, but I didn't really know. And I just started podcasting with WordPress. Oh, there's this thing. Install it. Oh, that's how it works. I learned because I, I, I was good enough at learning that I could learn these things. Right? But I hated decision by committee. I hated being told what I had to do. I hated being told I had to be somewhere, even in my own company. You see, people think because you own your own company, you run certain types of companies, you basically employ yourself, and the company becomes your master. I hated dealing with employees who were just ungrateful for how hard you worked so that they could have a job. I hated the whole corporate mess, and I wanted out of it. I hate details. I, I know you think the way I present that I must be really, really detail-oriented. I hate details. I, I hate having to jack around with the little stuff. I'm big picture. So I, I took all the things I hated, and I compared it against what I wanted to do. And I found a way to take as much of that as possible and get rid of it. What amount of money can you invest? This was tricky for me, because I could have invested a significant amount of money. But when I determined the right business, it just wasn't necessary. So I invested about three or four hundred dollars in marketing in the business early on, and I actually don't spend money marketing the business hardly at all anymore. But I use things like Google AdWords. I use the thing I don't even sure if it works very well anymore from a return standpoint, but a thing called StumbleUpon. I did some advertising on other people's websites. I, did, I went out and I went out and did interviews on other shows and things like that to get notoriety. Etc. I wrote articles for people like Lou Rockwell. So even if there wasn't a, a money investment, there was I could have spent that time doing something else, making money. So I could have said, you know what, I could take fifty thousand dollars and start a franchise business. But the reason I wouldn't do that isn't because there's no good franchise businesses, because they all comes with all the shit that I hate. So if you like being detail oriented, if you like managing people, right? If you like that stuff, then that, and you have the money to invest in a business like that, then it makes sense. That's a big part of the self-examination uh, and, and marrying to it. Just because you have the money to invest doesn't mean that you should. I could have also took out full-page ads in all of the you know, self-reliance-type magazines for this podcast when I launched it. And I, the reason I didn't do it is I didn't believe it would be anywhere near as effective as doing something like giving away an iPod and creating a grassroots movement. So you don't invest just because you have the money, but if you don't have the money, then that, ha that shapes what kind of business you can go into. All right? And if, people that say they want to start a business for free, okay, you're crazy. 
If you can't invest at least in web space, hosting, a domain name, setting up your corporate paperwork, you know, if you're not going to have a few thousand dollars total and a little bit of advertising to get off the ground, um, you're probably not going to make it because your mind's not right. You want water to come out of the pump, but you don't want to prime the pump. Now, you've got to be careful with this. There's people that they start a business like, and they have a couple thousand bucks that they can use for advertising, and it's like that money's burning a hole in their pocket. Just relax. Get the system working first. The site should be something that when a person gets to it, if you're going to do web advertising, when they get to the site, that there's a process in place for them. So when you come to my site, right, what you get is whatever the most recent post is, you click a button, you start listening, decide whether you like it or not, and there's things like subscribe, et cetera, on the site. And then you come into a process where eventually maybe you become a paying member because you get enough value and I sell it to you a little bit every day. But when I was buying traffic, you did not, I did not advertise the survivalpodcast.com as a link. The, the link, and it's still on the site, you can still look at it, it says subscribe on a main tab, and that was the page that I dumped people on. And there was a great big, bold headline in sort of red. I don't like bright red. I like, uh, it's kind of more like a maroon color. It gets your attention without being like it's screaming at you. But it says, welcome to the only online radio show 100% dedicated to survival in today's changing world. I might be fibbing a little bit today. But when I put this show out, it really was the only one. I've never changed it because it works. And, you know, there's some different things on it and opportunities to subscribe. But there's a bullet list, and it says, uh, on the Survival, Podca the Survival Podcast online radio show, we discuss subjects such as the current and future state of the economy, using solar energy sources, small-scale farming and survival gardening, political philosophies and libertarian ideals, wilderness and emergency survival Uh, situation survival, food storage options, preparing for natural disasters, home studying, rural and suburban, small livestock, small scale aquaculture, uh, yeah, aquaculture, safe investing in modern times, solar cooking, biofuels, our looming national debt and what it means to the individual, seed saving and heirloom fruits and vegetables. This is just a sampling of current and future shows. And there's a thing to fill out to get subscribed to the email list. I can tell you this for two reasons. One, kind of like there, see, I wrote this about a month into putting the site together. we Maybe not even a month. We'd done maybe 10 episodes. People that say the show's content has changed, no, it hasn't. This has been on the site for eight years almost. Okay, It's the same as it ever was. We just changed a little bit of delivery. But it also says what it is, and it starts the person through a process. If you're advertising before you have a process in place, it's like asking people to come into a store You know, where the greeter is at Walmart, hi, welcome to Walmart, here's your cart. But when they get in the store, there's no stuff. Or the stuff's all hidden somewhere. Or there's no organizational structure. It's not like the groceries are here, and then there's this and that. It's all just jumbled together. You have, like, the bread, you know, you have bread stuck in where the, uh, I don't know, fishing poles are. Right? And you just, like, everything's just scrambled around. And if you advertise that store and people come to it, you're going to lose money on your advertising because a lot of them are going to get into the door and go, I don't know what to do here. This doesn't look right. I'm not sure what this is, so I'm going to leave now. Bye bye. Well, that happens on websites like that. So when I say you know invest in your advertising, don't feel like it's important that you find a place to spend that money right away. Just expect that you will find it and and be willing to spend the money when it makes sense and you have the system tuned up. Um, the next thing is what amount of time can you invest? And kind of like 
said along with that is when can you invest the time? I was willing to invest hours into research, show development, answering questions, answering emails. I was willing to put six hours a day in. But that six hours a day had to be like, oh, I don't know, you know, three hours late at night when my wife was kind of zoning out on TV and I was sitting on the couch with my laptop and then getting up at three o'clock in the morning and then, you know, working until six and then driving to work. That, that was when. So there's a lot of, a lot of businesses that during those types of times, you can't actually do the things that are necessary for that business. So I could not have started a business like my father's business. Um, and without quitting my job, when my when my when I was a, a young kid, my dad had a business that was selling used tires. You don't sell used tires at three o'clock in the morning. You sell it, you know, Sunday through 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 Monday or Sunday through Saturday. Basically, he was open seven days a week from about eight o'clock in the morning till about nine o'clock at night. That's when people go buy tires and gasoline and get mechanical work done to their vehicles. That's that's when that happens. Now, I'm sure that if you had the only tire store open and somebody ran over something and needed a tire at midnight and you were open, they would come there, but that's not when you generally do business in that industry. So it's how much time do you have and be honest about it and when can you find that time so that if you're running a business that it does its online sales and marketing by itself and you're providing support, you can do that at night. But if you're running a storefront, you have to be there when people show up. I know that sounds fundamentally simple, but if you start being honest with yourself, you start forming a business because let's think of another business that you could run that seems like you couldn't in that same situation. You have a nine-to-five job, you work Monday through Friday. Physical product business doesn't work. Really? How about a landscape nursery business? Not a landscape, but a nursery business. You propagate plants, you set up automation, they look after themselves a great deal for a season as they're growing and filling out, you run your sales on Saturdays, You do your sales seasonally. You build up a bunch of inventory, and you try to dump as much as you can. That gives you capital to reinvest and get larger. And eventually, you develop a transition plan where you begin to add things. You're not just a nursery. Maybe now you're a nursery slash landscaper slash consultant. So you've built the core of the business, which created a customer base, which allows additional products to be sold through. But even though it's a physical product... You've done it in a way that fits your lifestyle. Some products can be bent to that. Some cannot. Okay? Um, the next is, you have to be honest about this too. What are your biggest weaknesses? One of my biggest weaknesses, bluntly, honestly, I'm an asshole. I'm an asshole. I, I, I don't, and that's part of why I don't like managing people in an employee-employer relationship. I, I don't have time for your piddly bullshit. Right? I know that makes me an asshole, but in my dad's day and age, they just called it a boss. But today it makes me an asshole. So you don't feel good about the way that I told you you're slacking when you're supposed to be working. I don't have time for your piddly bullshit. Get to work or leave. Right? So that is, in some ways, it can be a strength, but it's also a weakness in the modern office space. That's one of my, my other big weaknesses I have. I get bored really easy. I get bored as shit. That's another reason I like meetings. When I used to work with Neil, we'd be sitting in a meeting and he'd just look at me and go, you're bored, aren't you? I'd go, yeah. This is all pointless shit. Let's make a decision and do something. Right? So I'm an asshole and I get bored easily. I'm also a person that, if you look at my employment history, the reason I've done so much is when I get bored, I go do something else. 
So I had to find something that would be so varied that I would never get bored with it. So if I created a business and all that we did was grow plants, that might have worked. If it would have fit me and if I had the knowledge and the, the foresight, I could have maybe done that. Because so many plants. But in the end, it's all the same. But when I came up with a survival podcast, I can talk about 20 different things in one month. And if I'm done with those for a while, I can talk about 20 different things next month. It's not boring. It's never boring. Because I have the freedom to make it about almost anything that I want to make it about. And that doesn't always work for everybody in the audience, but it works for enough of them. The business is viable, continuing to grow, continuing to sustain itself, continuing to develop. So if I'm not honest about my weaknesses, what I end up doing is transitioning from a job into a business that I hate more than the job that I had. Because let's face it, if you have a job working for a regular company, a lot of things you think are hard aren't that hard. And a lot of things you think are bad aren't that bad. Especially if you're paid well, the fact that somebody else pays half of your Social Security for you, it's pretty nice. The fact that you can take a vacation and the company has things in place to take care of things while you're gone, where when you own a business, if you're gone, you're gone, unless you set that up for yourself. right? So there's a lot of sacrifice in running a business. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, to be honest. So if you, if you don't look at yourself and be honest about your weaknesses... And then you decide, okay, in my weaknesses, these are some I have to shore up because they're necessary. But these are things that are only weaknesses I hate. I need to get rid of them. I need to banish them. Or I need to build a business that I can install somebody else to do the stuff that I hate. If I was a blogger, and I'm not. Sometimes people get confused about that. They think I'm a blogger. Um, I don't know if you've noticed. I actually am a really great writer, but I'm a terrible technical writer. I misspell words, I don't use pronunciation or uh, 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 punctuation right, uh, I make my paragraphs too short because I know they look better online when they're, instead of being long. I do all kinds of things that break the rules of technical writing. And as a podcaster, there's show notes. If you don't like it, I don't care. Remember, I'm an asshole and I'm, I'm willing to admit that. And I had to find something that made that okay. I don't give a damn that I should have put a comma there or it, I used a semicolon and it should have been a, a colon. I, I don't care. Now, if I was going to be a blogger and I was going to put out articles on a regular basis, then I would have had to hire someone as a proofreader because I hate it. I don't care. I don't give a damn. I know you know what I mean. I can do a pretty good job of that. If there's a word that I left, like, you know, sometimes when you're typing, you think you hit the Y at the end of a word and you, you put money and now it's moan. I want to fix that. Okay, but I think if you understand context you're, and you're smart enough to read what I'm writing, you'd, you'd figure out. But I want to fix that. But to, to, to do a truly written blog on a daily basis, I would have had to hire someone to do the work that I don't want to do, whether it's an employee, a contractor, or outtasking. I have to shore that up with somebody else. Or I have to develop the skill to do it myself and the dedication and the wherewithal to do it myself. If you answer those questions and you understand the rules of business that we talked about today, You'll find a business. And then what we need to learn next is, well, what do I need to learn and how can I learn it? And there's a lot of ways. One is you can have a small starter business. Even when I was building larger companies in a more conventional state, I wanted out of that world. So 
I started building websites, and I learned things like how to sell long-distance phone service and cell phones. I learned how to do Amazon affiliate marketing. I learned how to make money using Google AdSense. That one doesn't work really well anymore. And I built little sites and satellite sites, and I, I learned the skill of website development, of search engine optimization, of how to put together a basic website. I'm not a coder, you know? If you can code, then you have a whole different place you can go into business for yourself. But I could install a WordPress site and install a plugin, and I learned more about how to do that through all of these other peripherals. That gave me the knowledge that when I started this, this show, I had a huge head start. That's why I was able to build it into a full-time business, starting with nothing, and in six months going to 2,000 people listening, and in, in a year and a half up to about 25,000 people listening, and even with 25,000 people being able to walk away from the corporate world and have a full-time income. And because I had the ability to optimize the site, to advertise the site, and I knew how to market it. So a lot of that I learned in the conventional business world, working as a sales VP, things like that. There's certain things you learn just by some of those boring meetings. Some of them weren't so boring. When you got into operations-level you know, meetings of a large corporate, of a $500 million corporation, and you start to see how the people that are smarter than you, because they are there, think about the revenue components of the, of the business and things that you're always like, why the hell don't we do this? And then you realize this is why we don't do this. This is why, this is, this is their rationale. And you either said, I, now I get it, or I still think they're wrong, but at least I know why, right? Those types of things were valuable. But I learned more about the things that actually made me successful from these little penny ante sites. So I think one of the big problems a lot of people have in this day and age is they decide they're going to put a blog together. And because they're not making money in two months, they don't understand the profit that they've gained. You now know how to set up a blog, run a blog. You know how to do a link. You know how to get somebody to guest blog or find a place where you can guest blog. You learn how to optimize your site. You learn how to install analytics so you can see the traffic to your site. This, this is valuable. That's If you can do all that, you can probably go find a job. Not a really high-paying job, but some sort of low-level job in web marketing or social media marketing, and then you'll learn a whole bunch more. I did it. God's honest truth. I went from making a good six-figure income, and I decided... I had enough of sales, I had enough of travel, and I wanted to learn more about all this internet marketing I'd done. I learned enough to sell myself well, and I got a job in internet marketing for a company called Masterlink here in Dallas. And I went from the year before I made 165000 in sales to the year I took that job, I made $45,000 salary. But I was surrounded by people that knew what I wanted to know. And... A year and a half later, I was back up as a six-figure earner. I had met Neil, and I was building my own companies again. This is this is the value sometimes of taking a step back to learn. So we can either start a small starter business, or we can take a job that does more to teach us than what it pays us. Or we can do self-study. We can research and just learn how to do things. My suggestion is consider doing all of the above. Consider doing all of the above. And, man, it works. And if we'll do that, you'll find a path. See, I can't tell you how to find your business 
in an A, B, C, D way. What I can do is I can give you the understanding and the real questions to ask of yourself and the real gut checks about what it takes, the sacrifice, the effort. And then if you want it, those things will create this pathway for you. There's some of you today that feel kind of like, ah, oh, it's not really what I wanted. I don't know what to do. And some of you, I got through to you. If I got through to you, here's what's going on. Some of you are lucky. You're like, I need to do business XYZ. I know it. It's right. It's, it's always been right. Now I get it. But most of you, what, you're, what you're, your brain is doing now, it's firing on all cylinders. You want to do something. You don't know what, but you're, you're jacked up with it. And you want to really sit down and think about it. You're going to do it. If that's you, you're going to do it. You're going to figure it out. And, and please do me a favor. Don't ask me if I think your business idea is a good idea. Because I've looked at business ideas and said, that's a terrible idea. And then a person turns around a year later and they're blowing it up and doing better than me. Because they thought about it this way. Because they believed in it and they wanted it. And what they believed and what they wanted and what they were able to do was more important than what my opinion was. I'll give you a perfect example of an opinion being wrong. When I was a young man, I think I was still in my teens, maybe early 20s, something came out that I couldn't believe existed. It was called Power Rangers. And I thought, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. There's no way that this stupid play on, like, Japanese Godzilla crap is going to make any money. This is dumb. Kids are not this stupid. You know, and, and 10 years later, I've got a kid, and I'm taking him to the mall to stand in line to meet the freaking Power Rangers. So just because I'm successful doesn't mean my opinion of another business is always accurate. There's been things I'm like, that's got to be successful. And it wasn't. Maybe not because the product wasn't right, but because it wasn't marketed right, it wasn't operated right, it wasn't run right. Ideas are shit. Ideas are a million, you know, a million a day. There's a million good ideas a day. It's execution, it's implementation, it's follow-through, it's service, it's delivery, it's support, and it's passion. It's all about passion. Hold on to that till we get to the closing song today, because I've got some more for you on this that fits right in with today's closing song. But I do want to say, hey, if you think this show's worth what I said it would be worth in the beginning, and you're not a member yet, consider becoming a member. Go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on members and sign up and join. 50 bucks a year or $5 a month or military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, prior service. You guys all qualify for a discount. Email me before or not after you join with TSPC service discount in the subject line. Tell me about your service in one or two sentences. My email is always jack at the survivalpodcast.com. If you also want to support this show and you're going to shop on Amazon anytime, you're going to shop on Amazon, just go to TSPAZ, T-S-P-A-Z, TSPAZ.com. Just go there. Amazon will show up. Do your shopping. It won't cost you any more money, and you'll help support the show. So if you think what we did today was worth that, Just set a bookmark in your computer or your phone or whatever for tspaz.com, and whenever you're going to buy something on Amazon, use it. It'll make your life easier. Type one less letter and do the same thing you would always do and support our show. We really appreciate it when you do that. Um, next up, this is all about entrepreneurship, guys. And it's why I put together the TSP Business Directory. Um, it, it really is important to me. I really want you to be successful. Um, and like I said, I think for some of you, I want it more than you do. And that means I want this community that I've built over eight years doing business with each other whenever you can. 
Today's supporting member of the business directory is Audio Imagery Design. They offer location sound services for video recording, post-production sound mixing and design, as well as live band recordings, engineering and mastering. They also provide video recording, lighting, and control systems for your event. They're located in Dallas, but traveling to your project is not a problem. Go to, go to audioimagerydesign.com or search for AID in the TSP business directory. Um, let me say something, too, about this. Like, If you just want to get ideas... For businesses, go to tspbiz.com. Go to the business directory. Just start looking at all the businesses being run by members of this community. It'll blow you away. You'll think, I, would have, I never would have thought of that. And here's the best thing about looking about other businesses. It's not, okay, they're doing this, that works, so I'm going to clone their business. If you look at enough businesses, you'll say to yourself, this is an idea that leads to an idea that puts things together with another idea, and now I have a starting point to develop my own thing. It's, it's, it's really an amazing thing that we have so many successful entrepreneurs in the TSP community, and I want there to be more. That's why I did today's show. On that note, I'm going to play a song for you guys that I have played before. It's by a, a country artist, a, a new one, actually. I play a lot of old music for you guys. This is by a guy named Lee Bryce, and it's, uh, it's called Love Like Crazy. And it's a great song. It really is. Uh, and it talks about traditional values and being together. But it's the second verse that made me pull it for today. Um, they called him crazy when he quit his job. They said those home computer boys, they'll, uh, them, that home, those home computers boy, they'll never pay off. Well, he sold his one-man shop to Microsoft. And they paid like crazy. That's one way. That's one way. But I'll tell you what's universal about that. They called him crazy. They called him crazy. All of us that build businesses and walk away from guaranteed incomes are called crazy. By society, by everybody. But do you know what? Those people that call us crazy, that say you should have job security, whatever, they need us or they don't have a job. It's entrepreneurs that drive all the jobs in the world. It really is. And one thing I want you to think about if you're building a business, do you want to build a business, a part-time business, or do you want to build a transitional business? They're both fine. But be clear about that or you're going to make mistakes. I have a whole podcast over at 5 Minutes with Jack. You can listen to on this. There's a link in today's show notes. It says part-time versus transitional business from FMWJ. Okay, Go listen to that one if you want to. It's about 10 minutes long. But the basics... A part-time business is something you're going to run on the side for a long time and may never become a full-time thing. You're going to keep a job. A transitional business is set up with the intent that this will become what I do. I will build this as a lifestyle business. I will build this as a sustainable business. I will build this into something that, that becomes what I do. And all of us that are able to do that, it's risky. right? That's what they say. You're crazy. You've got a future here at this company. If not here, then somewhere else. They call it risky. I call it smart. Here's why. I will never fire myself. If I do a shitty job, I might get onto myself, and I might say, self, you need to do a better job tomorrow, but I will never fire myself. Just can't. Because I need an income, and I love what I do. So all I will ever do is try to do better. No one can ever tell me I'm fired. I can get an email from one of you guys today that says, you suck, I hate you, and I will never listen to you again because something you said offended my, my, my chafed little ass. 
And I'll say, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Bye-bye. Why? Because as long as there's enough other people that want what I'm doing, I'm employed. You who thinks it's dangerous or it's risky to set up a business of your own and to, to go out and really go for it, one day, one person could decide, you know what, don't need you here anymore and screw your whole life up. Now, hopefully you find it. We've talked about how to find other jobs and all. I'm not putting jobs down. But this is the reality. The people that say it's risky, that it's crazy to quit your job. First of all, without people like you, they wouldn't have a job. Second of all, if you're successful, you're far more stable and far less at risk than they are. Because you have the ability to change if something's not working. I've worked for companies that I knew were going to go go down in a hard way. One was in directional boring for outside plant construction. And I could see bad things were coming, and it didn't matter. There was nothing I could do to change it. It just was going to happen. It was just, it, the writing was on the wall. And there was, and there was also a, a, there was a, a micro problem, in other words, a short-term problem that I could see. And there was a much longer-term problem, that the industry itself was going to shift. And what ended up happening is the, the owner of the company stiffed nine subcontractors for several hundred thousand dollars and disappeared into the blue. Then a lot more things made sense. But all I could do was hide from the subcontractors and want to kill me because I was the only one left. There was nothing I could do to fix it. Well, I couldn't do anything about that. But recently I made a change to the programming of this show because I realized there were things that we weren't doing really, really well anymore. And we needed to do a better job. So all, once I identified that, I was able to make that change. I was able to make that transition and do it in a week. You can't do that when you have a job. It's not crazy. Let me tell you what crazy is. Crazy is spending the rest of your life doing something you hate. Crazy is spending the rest of your life, the best years of your life, giving it to someone who doesn't really give a damn about you and will dispose of you the first time you become inconvenient. That's crazy. Crazy is getting into a car and driving to a place you don't want to be so that you can pay for the car and for the house that you only spend eight hours a day in because that's when you sleep. Crazy is having your marriage deteriorate because you don't have enough time for each other. Crazy is having your kids not know you because you're always gone for work. This shit is crazy. Sacrificing in the short term, doing more than you have to now to have the freedom to do what you want for the rest of your life is not crazy. It's not crazy. In fact, the younger you are, the more you have ahead of you, the more opportunities will be presented to you the crazier it is not to try. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. They called them crazy when they started out. Said 17's too young to know what love's about. They've been together 58 years now That's crazy He brought home 67 bucks a week 